21. All right, here in Revelation 21, we are done with the tribulation period. So if you haven't been with us here as of late, continuing our study here through the book of Revelation, we ended chapter 20 with the millennial reign of Christ ended. That was the literal 1,000-year reign of Jesus on earth. And we also ended chapter 20 with the great white throne judgment, where all non-believers are then judged and sentenced to hell. And that was at the end of Revelation chapter 20. So now, starting in Revelation 21, we're into eternity. We're finally into eternity. So these, these 20 plus chapters here of tribulation and of death and destruction, it, it's finally all done. And here from Revelation 21 on, we get to talk about one of the greatest topics of all, is the idea of heaven and being in heaven for all of eternity. And I will say this, the times that I've taught on heaven, heaven for being such a wonderful topic to talk about, is actually a really difficult subject to teach on because there's so many questions that come up. There's so many things that people want to know about heaven. Was well, it going to be like this? Is it going to be like that? And it's really tough sometimes to answer all those questions because a lot of the times is we really just don't know. And so since we don't know, God says, you just got to trust me. It's worth it. And have you ever done that with your kids? I've done that with my kids. If we're going someplace new, fun, and exciting, you know, we've reached the point now where we don't even tell them what we're doing. Because once you tell them what they're doing, you're doing, they want to know everything. Well, what are we going to do this? What's it going to be like? Sometimes we just don't know. Sometimes we say, you know what? Trust me. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be fun. Same thing with heaven. You're going to come away with a lot of questions, and this is one of those messages where probably more questions will come out of this than will be answered. But the thing I will tell you is just trust me. It's, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be fun. And that's the blessing of what we're going to talk about here. So look how this starts out. Now you've got to remember, once again, Revelation 21 and 22, we're, we're all done. And we're actually starting brand new, verse 1 of Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away, and there was also no more sea. Everything's new right from the beginning. The old is done away with, and now we have this new. And, and why do we have to have this new? Well, because the old is cursed. The old is full of so much sin and destruction, it's cursed. If you're taking notes, just write this passage down. It's 2 Peter chapter 3. And it starts in verse 10. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You know, it's one of those things where God almost stops and looks at the earth and says, okay, this is a fixer-upper, and I don't want a fixer-upper. I want to start from scratch. So he totally knocks it down, and he starts from scratch with this idea of a new heaven and a new earth, and everything is going to be different. First thing you see there is there's no more sea. That's kind of a fascinating thing. I don't remember exactly what it is, two-thirds, three-fourths, something like that, of the earth is water right now. The Bible says there's going to be no more sea. That's going to dramatically change everything here from just an ecosystem that we live in because so much of what we are in today is based on this water cycle etc and that's going to be gone so when people ask what's it going to be like the first thing that you notice there in verse one is there's no more sea we have a tendency to skip over that and say okay what's the big deal that will dramatically change everything on what's going to be going on here that there's no more sea some people look at that phrase no more sea as more of a spiritual type look because sometimes in the bible sea is referred to all of mankind 
and generally referred to as in a sinful way, sinful mankind. So some people look at no more sea as being an actually a picture. There's no more of that sinful mankind that's going to be happening. So the first thing you notice there, there's no more sea. Everything's brand new. Verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, before we get into what the New Jerusalem is, because we're actually getting into that next week, that starts in verse 9, and there's actual physical dimensions there of what the New Jerusalem will be, and we'll get a chance to talk about what that is. But there's this part here, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, there's been the saying that's been said many times, is there's no such thing as an ugly bride. That idea of always beautiful, always attractive. And one of my favorite things to do is when we do a wedding out here, is there's usually this scene, we got this chair split, I'm standing up here, we got the groom standing right to my left, and you, the door's shut, and you hear the bride's music start to play. So the music there starts, and then they open the door, and here comes the bride, and it's the first time that the groom has seen the bride all prettied up and dressed up and everything. And I always got this thing, I always asked the groom before, and I said, are you going to cry? going to cry when you see her? I'm not going to cry. I'm not that type of guy. Oh, man, they're wiping away tears every single time. There's no such thing as an ugly bride. She may be ugly before or after, but during those moments, <laughs> during those moments of when she's walking up that aisle, she's not ugly. So there's this idea here that you see in verse 2, this new Jerusalem is gorgeous, gorgeous. And, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because, and don't do it, but if you read verses 9 through 21, but don't do it, it really gives the description of what it is. And it's an absolutely mind-blowing thing of what the new Jerusalem will be. But God doesn't want us to give us those details quite yet. He wants to wait to verse 9. But it's this amazing, beautiful thing coming down from heaven that, that looks good. It's, it's an amazing thing. Well, what's one of the things that's going on with this? Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. See, that's what heaven is. Heaven is, we're with God. Complete access to God in all ways and all things. We get to dwell with God. That's what heaven is. That's why Jesus died on the cross. It's because my sin kept me from having a relationship with God. And so therefore my sin had to be dealt with through Christ on the cross so I could have access to God. Now, right now, we are blessed. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us, the Bible says. So yes, we have this access to God. It says in Hebrews chapter 4 that we can boldly go to the throne. Anytime you want to talk to God, you can pray. He's right there. We have access. But what we're talking about here in Revelation 21.3 is complete dwelling with them. For all of eternity, we get to be with God and we're his people. That's something that we can't even grasp. That's something we can't even really understand. And this is one of the difficult parts about heaven as we try to wrap our mind around something that's eternal and infinite. We have such a finite mind. But for us to really be dwelling with God for all of eternity, the tabernacle of God is with men. What an absolutely blessing that is. Now, before we get into verse 4, because verse 4 kind of changes direction here a little bit, does anybody have any first questions about verses 1 through 3? Any quick questions or comments about that? Okay, can't, Ryan. Right. It, it totally changes everything. 
And you're absolutely right. When you talk about will there be water cycles, et cetera, so much of what the water cycle does now is because our sinful bodies need that constant replenishment there of oxygen, et cetera. And so when you have this here in heaven, we're in our glorified new bodies, you see that ecosystem no longer having to be that way. One commentator I read said that this may have been more what it was like in the Garden of Eden before sin came into the place, is that we didn't need to be revolving around this idea of water and oxygen, et cetera, so that no more sea, that really is a huge statement. And it's kind of a fascinating thing to stop and see what that really could be like when that happens. Right. Yeah, that pre-flood world, because if you look at it, when the flood happened there in Genesis, one of the things that did, the Bible says, these great fissures from the earth opened up, and the water came out. This water was all stored underground. And that's one of the commentators I read said that part of the reason why the sea may be dealt, put away with is because the sea really was a judging force. I mean, the reason the sea was there was to wipe out the earth during the time of the flood. So by the sea being gone, it shows that judgment's being gone. And it's not that there's not going to be water necessarily, because jump ahead to chapter 22, verse 1. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. There seems to be this eternal water of life, which we'll get into here in a couple weeks. But this idea of sea is gone. And like I said, that changes the ecosystem. Maybe it was a picture of judgment there from Noah's time. Maybe it's a symbolic picture of man. But anyway, it's gone for all of eternity. It totally changes everything. Gross. Right. Oh, agreed. Yeah, we're not trying to imply at all that there was no sea there before the flood in any way whatsoever. But I think what we're trying to say here is after the flood happened, that totally changed the dynamic of the earth completely there in Genesis 7 when these great fissures opened, etc. Yeah, so we're not trying to make it sound like there was no sea at all uh, before the uh, flood happened in any way whatsoever. But definitely what you have here in Garden of Eden, then after the fall, and even before the flood, they're totally different ecosystems that were going on. And here for all of eternity, that sea's gone, which totally changes stuff. Marf. Well, hell was going to continue to exist because if you jump down to verse 8, it says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, uh, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So hell continues on. Um, where is hell physically located? No one knows for sure. Some people have thought that possibly hell existed in the center of the earth. We don't know 100% for sure where hell exists. But the idea here is hell is going to continue. But yet this earth that we live on is going to totally be destroyed. It's going to start over from scratch. Well, I, the way I kind of look at it is where it says a new heaven and a new earth. Um, I look at it as that all of creation has been under the curse, so therefore he's going to start from scratch with everything. Some people believe that this new Jerusalem coming down, for lack of a better word, is almost the floating center of everything and that everything's going to revolve and center around this. So I firmly believe it's going to be a complete new earth and also new heavens to start with because if all creation has been cursed, then everything has to start from scratch too. Yeah, Megan. Well, you got to remember in the Bible there's three different heavens mentioned. There is the heaven that you see, which is the blue sky. Then there's the second heaven, which is space, interplanetary. And then there's the third heaven, the Bible says, which is the abode of God. So anything that's been created is under the curse because it's creation. And when we sinned, all of creation was cursed. So at, what's that? Well, you got to remember there's three heavens. The blue sky heaven, the interplanetary heaven. That's what we're talking about there with heavens. The abode of God existed before creation, and that's been free from sin there. So, But therefore, everything's going to be start from new. So when we talk about heavens, we're also talking about the planets, and when you look up into the heavens, not necessarily where God lives and where we're going to be for all of eternity. It gets a little confusing when the Bible talks about three separate heavens.
So the abode of God is not necessarily what we're talking about here. Yeah, David. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, blue sky. I always go blue sky, dark black sky, and then you got the abode of God, which I haven't seen the abode of God yet, but I've seen the blue sky and the black sky. That creation, as beautiful and amazing as it is, is under the curse, and it's under sin, and so therefore it's going to have to be start from scratch again too. Ron. Well, then don't. If someone starts out with, I hate to ask this, then just really, just really think about what you're going to say before you ask it. Well, don't, no, no, there's not stupid, so, but go ahead. No, that, and that's not a dumb question, and, but I still wish you wouldn't have asked it, because that goes from verses 9 through 21 of next week which we're not going to get into this week. But yes, it seems to be a literal creation because if you might as well, we opened up the can of worms, let's just jump ahead to it. Verse 16 of Revelation 21, the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. It's measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, height are equal. He measured its wall, and it goes through all the dimensions there. And I don't encourage you to do this, but if you look down at the bottom where it says New Jerusalem on your sheet, we kind of put a little bit of description of it. It seems to be a literal, physical description of what this is going to be like. So to answer your question, yes, I think this is a literal thing coming out of heaven that is, and I think that's why the description there of its length is to show us this is real. But we'll get into that next week. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Ron. I just teasing you. It's a good question. Anybody else have any other things here before we move on? Yeah, here's one of my favorite verses, verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, no crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. See, to me, that's what makes heaven heaven is yes, there is the living with God, and I don't want to downplay that in any way whatsoever. But when I look at verse 4, I just think, oh, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. Physical suffering and pain is gone. Emotional suffering and pain is gone. Spiritual suffering and pain is gone. It's all done. There's no more fear, no more worry, no more anxiety, no more physical pain. It's all gone. Look at verse 4 one more time. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. What an absolutely amazing verse that makes heaven heaven. I want to throw another verse in there with this. Because a lot of times people, when they start talking about eternity, they start asking questions like, well, am I going to remember what's going on down here on earth? Am I going to have those memories and all that other type of stuff? And I always tell everybody, well, if you have these type of memories of pain and hurt, how are you supposed to enjoy eternity forever and ever if you're constantly thinking about what could have been and should have been? The verse that bookends this is Isaiah 65:17. You don't need to turn there, but write this down, Isaiah 65:17. God says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not to be remembered or come to mind. Now listen to that one more time. The former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Now, which leads us to the next question. So I'm not going to remember anything from here this at all? No, because then the other scriptures that we need to put with this is, the Bible says that we will be known now as we are now known. So therefore, when we die and go to heaven and I run into you guys, I will know you and you will know me. Because we'll all be of all one. We'll be one body, one family, the bride. And so that, that spirit there of brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ will unite us together as one. So we will know each other. We will know that type of things. But are we going to bring that spiritual, physical, and emotional baggage into heaven? No, of course not. An example of us knowing people, if you remember back in uh, Matthew 17, when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, Peter said, hey, there's Jesus. And he said, look, there's also Moses. There's also Elijah. 
Now, Moses and Elijah, Moses lived thousands of years before Peter, and so did Elijah. Peter had never met neither Moses or Elijah. So the only way he could have known Moses or Elijah was because God revealed that to him. So to me, that means the same thing. When I get up to heaven, I'm not going to spend all of eternity going, shaking people's hands and saying, hi, my name is James. You know, we're going to know each other because of that uniqueness and closeness there of the body. And so we will know things, but this physical, emotional, spiritual hurt and pain that we have down on this earth, we don't take that with us for all of eternity. Yeah, John. Yeah, I, I, I don't believe that we will because I think once again, if we would take those memories with us, we'd spend all of eternity wondering and regretting and all this other type of stuff, and that's not heaven in any way whatsoever. And part of the eternal blessedness of heaven is that stuff is gone. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more anything. Ryan. That sounds good, and I want to agree with you, but I'm not really smart when it comes to computers. So if I say yes, someone may come up to after church and say, James, that was the dumbest thing you've ever agreed to. So I don't know, but it sure sounds good, Ryan. Yes. So, yes. And that's the thing is, is that idea of we won't be carrying that, that with us. They'll be remembered no more there, like David said. And so, yes, I think that is a good example. The bad stuff's gone, but we get to cling to that, which is good. And one of my favorite passages that goes along with this is Psalm 116 where it says right here, and I just absolutely love this, you don't need to turn there, it says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. We're talking about death. Return to your rest. For you have delivered my soul from death. My physical body dies, but my soul lives. My eyes from tears. I'm delivered from tears. My feet from falling. No more physicalness. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And that's one of my favorite passages to read, especially at a funeral, especially when someone has struggled so much physically at the end to think that they are now home in heaven and completely made whole health-wise. What a wonderful, wonderful blessing that is. So we get that wonderful blessing of knowing that there's no more death, no sorrow, no crying, no more pain. The former things have passed away. And like David said there, they will be remembered no more. What a blessing that is that we can walk through all of eternity with that. I mean, stop and think for a second. When's the last time we went a day without some type of fear, some type of worry, some type of anxiety, some type of spiritual disappointment, some type of disappointment in our kids and our spouse and our job, or just some type of day without pain? What a blessing. And that's what we get to experience for all of heaven. And that's one of the most amazing blessings of what heaven is, I think it's going to be. Let's continue on. Oh, Rose. Yeah. I know. No. And, and that's, a, that's a really tough conversation to have with people because, and that, and that happens a lot, is people come up and say something like, you know, I know that, that uh, so-and-so is now an angel up in heaven, or I know that so-and-so is up there watching over me. And depending on how the Lord leads, depends on when the conversation goes. If they ask questions, one of the first things I say is, well, you know, they, they didn't become an angel. That's, that's not how the Bible works. And, you know, the angels were created from the beginning, so it's not like we become angels. And number two, same thing which you said. They're not watching down. And that hopefully brings a comfort to us to know that they don't have to worry about what's going on down here. The last thing I want to do when I get to heaven is look down and see what everybody's doing. I want to let go of this. And so that's where it comes down to. Part of being no more sorrow, no more death, no more crying, no more pain, is I can just focus on God. Just just heaven. And that's what the blessing is of it. Wonderful blessing there. Yeah, Yulene. Oh, you'll be, now, you'll be known as you are now known. Let me find that one real quick. I may have to get back to you on that. For some reason, I can't remember if that's in Corinthians or 1 John. I will find that and get back to you on that one. So, 
Um, anybody else have anything here before we continue on? Yeah, Marv. Mm. Right. Yeah, and, and if you want a, back, a scriptural backup for that is uh, Luke 16. If you go read Luke 16, which we referenced a couple weeks ago, when the rich man died and went down to the torment of Hades, and uh, Lazarus went to the uh, paradise there, the rich man could see what was going on. That's led some people to believe that part of the punishment of hell is being able to see what's going on. Now, we don't know 100% for sure with that, but there is in Luke 16, there seems to be a hint of a reference to that. So, And that's the thing is, I mean, think about you know what you were saying there. Part of the judgment of being able to see what was missed out on, it's, it's not that God is trying to rub that in their face, because one of the things that we've talked about here every week in Revelation is God is an infinite God of love, grace, and mercy. And he desires no one to go to hell. We've made that abundantly clear here through Ezekiel and then Peter. But when people choose to reject that, that's part of the punishment. Part of the punishment. I saw. I heard somebody was saying First John. Did they find the verse where that is known is now known? I think it's in First John too, but I can't seem to find where it is right off the top of my head there. But I believe it is in First John, which says we'll be known as we are now known. Um, like I said, I can find that and let you guys know for that too. Anybody else have any other things here before we, I guess, almost close up? Well, we'll kind of just continue here real quick as really verse 5 kind of finishes it up here. Verse 5, it says, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. We've talked about that. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And that's probably the last verse we'll do here tonight since it's 8 o'clock. But I like that because, Behold, I make all things new. We've covered that. But these words are true and faithful. This is the one thing where God says you can count on this. Because there's a lot of times in life where we sit here and we say, Lord, I can't. I can't move on with this. I can't move past this. I can't. And the Lord says, it is true and faithful of what is coming. And this is what we get to have. That Bible talks about that hope, that hope that is coming. And we get to have that hope and what an absolute blessing that will be. And, oh my goodness, something to look forward to. Absolutely something to look forward to. Anybody have any final questions, comments here before we close up? All righty. Yes, sorry, Megan. No. By the time you reach the great white throne judgment of the Revelation 20, the choice has already been made. And, and the reason I say this is before we think that sounds difficult, the reason we are on this earth right now is the Lord has given us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to come to know him. There's not going to be a single person that's going to stand before God at the Revelation 20 great white throne judgment and say, I, I, I never knew. I never had a chance. You, you never fully explained it. I mean, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And right now, he is speaking to the world to bring them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's also part of our responsibility, too, as the church, is to go out there and be a light and a witness in all that we say and do. So to answer your question, no, there's not going to be that, that opportunity. The reason we are here today is to make that choice. That's why the book of Hebrews says today is the day of salvation. And because now's the time. So I don't look at that necessarily as a, as a bad, scary thing. I look at it as, okay, Lord, for how many years have you spoken to someone's heart? If they choose to reject you, that's a personal choice that they made. What a sad personal choice that they made. But that's a choice that they made there. Yeah, it's a good verse. Appointed for man to die once and then face the judgment. And that's what happens here is uh, people have chosen to live their lives and they reject the Lord. And as we have said once again numerous times in Second Peter 3.9 and Ezekiel, I believe it's uh, Ezekiel 38, this idea of God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And he says, O wicked, turn from your ways and live. 
And that's what the Lord wants. He's speaking to people's hearts right now to say to let go of this sin and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if they choose to reject it, they choose to reject it. That's their own choice. Anybody else have any final things? Yeah, Marv. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there's going to be that time. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's, it's called the judgment seat of Christ, where it says right here that... Um, Oh, let me find it right here. Verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So before we go into heaven there, we have this judgment seat of Christ, which I kind of revert, refer to almost as a, a job evaluation. It's not a judgment of salvation or not being saved, because if you're going through the judgment seat of Christ, it's because you are saved. But yes, there is going to be this element of the judgment seat of Christ where we get to stop and the Lord's going to say, what did you do for me? So I think or you're asking, are there going to be moments of regret at that time? Are there going to be moments of, boy, I should have, could have done more? You know, I don't know. That's a good question. I know that once this judgment seat of Christ, though, is done, it talks about our work will be revealed. We get to take those rewards that God has given us, and we get to give them back to him for all of eternity. So if there is that moment of, I should have, could have done more, it's going to all be over when we get a hug from the Lord. So that's a good question, though. But you have judgment seat of Christ. I just want to stress this for believers only, and it's not a judgment on salvation or not salvation, but our works are being judged for what we did for the Lord with the gifts that he gave us. Done. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that and that's a, it's a good point to reiterate one more time. In 1 Corinthians 3, it's not a judgment of works of sin or not sin. It's a judgment of what did I do for the Lord, and that's what it is. This is not a judgment of, you know, James, you kind of snapped at your wife a lot. That, that's already been forgiven on the cross. But here in 1 Corinthians 3, it's it's how did you serve the Lord with the gifts that were given. That's a good point to bring up there. Yeah, Ron. Right, we're talking about two different things. Great white throne is Revelation 20, and that's for non-believers only. Judgment seat of Christ is 1 Corinthians 3, and that's for believers. Two totally different things. So as you go in, it's going to be great white throne on your right, judgment seat of Christ on your left. I'm not saying literally like that, but you know what I mean. So I don't want you to get up to heaven. So James said it's on the left, and it looks like it's on the right. I don't want to go the wrong one. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it literally, okay? Um, judgment seat of Christ is believers only where we stand before the Lord and the Lord says, how did you serve me on earth? It's not a judgment of sin. It's not a judgment of salvation. It's, it's a job evaluation on how did we serve the Lord down here on earth. Great white throne judgment, Revelation 20, is non-believers only and it is a sentence to hell for all of eternity. No, and that, and that, I'm glad you brought that up because that's an important thing to make sure it's clarified. Hey, David. That's kind of a neat point there that, you know, when you look at it from that perspective there, verse 4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, you know, maybe there is an element of that where you kind of go in like uh, Marv was saying, maybe there's that moment of, gosh, I could have, should have done more. And the Lord says, it's okay. It's okay. You're with me for all of eternity. It's okay. So what a, what a blessing that is. Yeah, it's a good of, should have, would have. Because we all have those moments. I mean, haven't you ever had that as a kid where you really felt like you, you just screwed up? I, and, I'll, and I'll share this to close with. And, um, I don't know, Mom, if you remember this or not, but I remember one time it was uh, my mom's birthday was December 3rd, and I remember I set this thing up for her, and I cut up all this paper, and I put it in this box, and as she walked by, I was going to dump this box of confetti on her head, okay? It's, it's a glimpse, in, glimpse into my dysfunctional 
childhood. But that's what I was going to do. So I had this all set up, and it was coming down the hallway, and I, I put it on the piano, and I was going to uh, dump it on her. And as she came, I did it, and it fell, and I was all happy, happy birthday. And I remember Mom saying, I appreciate this so much. You know, Mom's so nice. She goes, but today's not my birthday. And I, Do you remember that? You probably don't. I don't know if you remember that or not. And it was, I was a day off. And so I just broke down and cried. You know what I mean? You just have this, this moment of, and I was 20, and it just kind of had this moment of just, it was the end of the world. But I remember at that time, you know, I, I so messed up. You wanted it to be so good for your mom and everything, and mom came over, gave me a hug. It's okay. And I kind of have that feeling of the judgment seat of Christ. It's almost like, God, I'm so sorry, Father. I'm so sorry, Lord. You know, I wanted to do more. I wanted to do this. It's okay. It's okay. You're with me. You're with me. Just, just come here. Give me a hug. And that's part of the beauty of heaven. And it's just, we get to be with him the rest of all of eternity. And it's all done. It's all gone. So, All right, hey, well, let's close up here. And uh, let's do what we've done every week here in our study in Revelation. Let's close up with a word of prayer. And most importantly, let's pray for those that we may know that do not know the Lord. That we may go out there and be lights and witnesses in all that we say and all that we do. Because since we have this information, let's take this information and then utilize it to say, Lord, spur us on to make an eternal difference in our friends, our family, our coworkers, and our neighbors too. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you now in the name of Jesus. We look forward to what the blessing of eternity is. And uh, thank you for that, Lord. Thank you so much. And what an excitement it is just to sit here and read and study of what it's going to be like. To you be the glory. But Lord, at the same time too, as we sit here with this eager anticipation and we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We also do know that there's some that do not know you. Lord, help us be lights and witness. I pray that your spirit speaking to them. Let the veil be lifted. Lord, just as that Holy Spirit just convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment, speak the truth to their hearts and help us to plant seeds in you for you. And Lord, we lift this up in your name. Amen. Alrighty, you guys have a good week and God bless and we'll see you next Wednesday.